Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to an interesting trio of episodes we have for you tonight. First off, we have the Jack Benny show from 1952, uh, from October 19th. And it's about Jack buys 20th Century Fox. After that, we have the Phil Harris show from the same night of October 19th, 1952, where Phil gets to become a television star, which is very ironic considering that Phil was so reticent to even go into television at all and just wanted to stay in radio. Then for our third presentation, we jump back 10 years to 1942 and we present the episode of the Jack Benny show in which the Maxwell is given up for the stress for uh, given into a scrap drive. So uh, that's just a, a timeless episode and it's a fun one to hear uh, just the whole gang uh, dealing with the fact that they're going to uh, turn in the Maxwell to the scrap drive. So a fun episode for you. All three of these episodes are great. I thought I'd start off though by uh, reading just a little bit about from uh, Kathy Fuller Seeley's new book about Jack Benny. And this is from chapter six and it's called The Commercial Imperative. Sounds like an episode of The Big Bang Theory from that title. Anyway, um, it's all about Jack and advertising, this chapter six is. And I wanted to talk about this one because I, I need to talk about last week's and this week's advertisement that's in the 1952 episode. It is just the opposite of what I'm going to read here. So let me read this first. It says, Jack's success as a salesman in moving goods, first for General Foods, then American Tobacco, was absolutely incredible recalled legendary broadcasting executive Sylvester Pat Weaver in 1963. Weaver knew what he was talking about, having worked with Jack Benny in radio over 20 years through an advertising agency, a sponsor, and a network. Benny collected accolades from industry observers, critics, and the public throughout his radio career for his ability to merge entertainment and consumer product advertising. As soon as he started in radio, Benny learned that commercial broadcasting had a wider variety of masters to please than he had experienced in vaudeville or in film. And that's just the beginning of her whole chapter on um, advertising sponsors, the whole thing with Jack. It's, I'm really enjoying this book. It's, it's, um, I just, I picked it up on the Kindle. The Kindle version is under $20 well worth it for everybody to pick that up and, and have a read through it. There's two chapters on Rochester. and I think that's fantastic. We have so little about Rochester that we know. Anyway, I thought I'd present this on this commercial section in that Jack has a commercial on these last few weeks that goes against everything that this is about. It's, it's not integrated in the show. It's not um, well done. It's probably the most horrendous, one of the most horrendous commercials I've ever heard in that it talks about college students and smoking and is encouraging them to be smoking and saying how Lucky Strikes are the most popular cigarettes on colleges across the country. 
just really leaves a bad taste in your mouth for the whole advertising piece of this show. I've never loved that Jack had uh, to, to use the tobacco company to, to uh, do his advertising. And certainly this is about as bad as it gets. Uh, so there, it's an interesting piece of history though. And the episode itself is fantastic. It's just this first commercial. You'll hear it right off the bat because uh, the commercial comes immediately on. And as I say, it's pretty bad. So without further ado, let's get into the commercial and get into all three of these great shows from Jack Benny and Phil Harris and the whole gang. Enjoy. The Jack Benny Program, transcribed and presented by Lucky Strike. Lucky tastes better. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky, 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 lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Better get a carton, better get a carton, better get a carton today. Hello, friends. This is Don Wilson. You know, that college cheer represents a lot of smoking cheer in campuses all over the country. Yes, indeed. Because a nationwide survey based on actual student interviews in 80 leading colleges reveals that more smokers in these colleges prefer Lucky's than any other cigarette. But that's not all. The survey also shows Lucky's gained far more smokers than the nation's two other principal brands combined. More important still, the reason most often given by the students for smoking Lucky's was Lucky's better taste. Yes, Lucky's do taste better because LSMFT, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Fine, mild, good tasting tobacco. And Lucky's are made better, made round and firm and fully packed to taste cleaner, fresher, smoother. So make your next carton Lucky Strike and you'll agree Lucky's better taste is something to cheer about. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Cleaner, fresher. The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Barry Livingston, Rochester, Dennis Day, Bob Crosby, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, once every two weeks, Jack Benny and Rochester make out a shopping list of household needs. As we look in on them today, they're preparing this week's list. Say, boss, the shelves are kind of empty. We need some baked beans. Baked beans. Three cans. Some peas? Not so fast, Rochester. I'm writing it down. Peas, two cans. Some mayonnaise. Oh, Rochester, why buy mayonnaise? All it is is eggs, salad oil, and vinegar mixed up. Oh, yeah, I can make that. Yeah. Well, we need some corned beef hash. You don't have to buy that either. All it is is potatoes, corned beef, and onions. Yeah, I can make that too. Yeah. Now, let's see. We need some eggs. Eggs? Well, Rochester... No, boss, I'm not even going to try. (laughs) I didn't mean that. I meant you can get the eggs from the milkman. Now, let's get on with the list. Some bird seed for Polly. Bird seed? By the way, where is that parrot? I don't know. She climbed down from her perch this morning and disappeared. 
Well, I hope you have all the windows and doors locked. She's been trying to run away from home ever since I bawled her out last week. Well, boss, I think you yelled at her a little too much. Well, she deserved it. If I told her once, I told her a hundred times. I get the morning paper first. <laughs> Silly bird. Now, come on, let's finish this list. Okay. Uh, a bottle of cooking sherry. A bottle of... Wait a minute, Roddy. We just bought some wine last week. It's all gone, boss. I've been meaning to talk to you about that. You've been using too much in the cooking lately. Why? Well, last night you made some clam chowder with sherry, didn't you? Uh-huh. What about it? Well, I bit into a clam and it bit me back. <laughs> now, don't use it in everything from now on. Yes, sir. Uh, while I'm down at the market, shall I get anything at the butcher's? Well... I think the only meat we have left is a chicken. Well, let's not think. Let's be sure. I'll look in the refrigerator and see... Rochester, look, Polly's in the refrigerator. Come on out, Polly. Come on. Polly, stop crying. Polly, control yourself. It's only a chicken. You didn't even know her. How'd Polly ever get in the refrigerator anyway? I don't know, boss. She must have jumped in when I had it open. I think she's catching cold. Fix her an Alka-Seltzer, Rochester. Don't worry so much, boss. Polly will be all right. I don't know. She's getting kind of old, you know, even for a parrot. How old is she? Well, when I bought her, the pet shop gave me her pedigree. The paper said she was born in Algiers in 1894. 1894? Yeah, that makes her 58 years old. I'm 39, 39. <laughs> no... No, no, Polly, it says right here on your pedigree papers, you're 58. 39, 39. No, Polly, Polly, you're all mixed up. I'm 39. 58, 58. Rochester, put her back on her perch. Yes, sir. I'll answer the door. You finish the list. Okay. Ouch. It's the second time I hit my head against that chandelier. I better take some money out of my shoes. <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky, my... Coming, coming. Oh, hello, Mr. Benny. Oh, hello, Dennis. Come on in. Mr. Benny, can I miss the rehearsal tomorrow? Oh, sure. Can I miss Saturday's rehearsal, too? Saturday? Well, I guess so. Can I miss the show on Sunday? Miss the show? Why? I'm going to kill myself. Oh, stop being silly. I'm not being silly. I already made out my will. Look, Dennis. I'm leaving my brain to Hollywood High School. Dennis. I was going to leave it to Harvard, but they turned it down. Cut that out. You're not going to commit suicide. If I don't, the gamblers are going to take me for a ride. A ride? Yeah, I lost a 50 cents on the World Series and I didn't pay off. Look, Dennis, nobody's going to kill you for only 50 cents. A lot of people say they'll do it for nothing. <laughs> Dennis, Dennis, I'm tired of this silly talk. Now, stop worrying and let me hear the song you're going to do on the show. 
What is it? Oh, Vita Zane, that means goodbye forever. It does not! Now <laughs> sing it and don't drive me crazy. Dennis, very good. Now, when you sing that number on the show, I want you to be sure... Well, there's someone at the door. Don't answer it. Don't answer it. They're coming after me. Oh, be quiet. <laughs> Nobody's coming after you. Come in. Hello, Jack. Hi, Jack. Oh, hello, Don. Bob, I didn't expect you. Come on in. Say, Jack, Bob and I are going out to play some golf. We thought maybe you'd like to join us. Gee, I'd love to, but I can't leave the house. I'm expecting a call about a very important picture deal. Who from? Daryl Zanny. Daryl Zanuck, the head of 20th Century Fox. Uh-huh. Say, didn't you make a picture at that studio? That's right, Bob. I made a picture for Zanuck in 1941. Gosh, that's only 11 years. He got over it fast. <laughs> Dennis, quiet, for heaven's sake. Jack, what's this deal with Zanuck you were talking about? Well, they're making so many pictures based on the lives of entertainers that I thought my biography would make a good movie. So I wrote it up and sent it to Mr. Zanuck. You know, Jack, that should make a wonderful story. You've led such an interesting life. Vaudeville, movies, radio, stage, television. Bob's right, Jack. Do you intend to play the leading role yourself? No, no, that would be too hammy, you know. 
Uh, we're going to get an actor who's a lot like me in personality, age, habits, and physique. Who are you getting? Errol Flynn. <laughs> and, fellas, it's really going to be a... Uh... Gee, I hate to admit it, but I need one. <laughs> you need what? A hearing aid. I thought you said Errol Flynn. <laughs> well, come on, Don. Let's go play golf. Okay. Say, Bob. Bob, you play a lot of golf, don't you? Yeah, and last week I got the greatest thrill in the whole world. It made a hole in one. No kidding. Yep. On the third hole at Bel Air. Gosh, I couldn't wait to get back to the clubhouse and buy drinks for everybody there. Oh, yes, yes. That's the tradition. Mm -hmm. When you make a hole in one, you're supposed to buy drinks for everybody. Have you ever made a hole in one? Yes, yes, uh, about two years ago at Hillcrest. Yeah, it's wonderful. Anybody see you do it? Rochester, but I gave him a dollar and he kept his mouth shut. <laughs> it was worth it. <laughs> you know, Jack, I'm sure glad that I came on your show. You are, Bob Why? Well, I won't make much money, but man, what an education. <laughs> What? Come on, Don, let's go. Okay, so long, Jack. Goodbye, fellas. I wonder what he meant by... Uh... Oh, boss, boss! Yes, Rochester? Mr. Ronald Coleman just called and they're having a big dinner party tonight. Ronald Coleman? Oh, did they invite me? No, he asked us to return their garbage disposal. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Do we still have their garbage disposal? Uh-huh. You know, it was kind of tough borrowing that, wasn't it? Yeah, I had to go to plumbing school for two months. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, let's try... Say, maybe that's the phone call I'm waiting for. Hello? Jack Benny speaking. Hello, Jack. This is Daryl Zanuck. I, I've been waiting for your call, Mr. Zanuck. Look, Jack, I'm a busy man. You sent your script over last week, bothered my secretary with dozens of phone calls. I promised to read it, and I did. You did, Mr. Zanuck? You did? What'd you think of it? Well, Jack, that is without a doubt the most awful thing I've read in all my 39 years. <laughs> Mr. Zanuck, are you 39? When you're the head of a big studio, who's going to argue with you? <laughs> oh, well, Mr. Zanuck, getting back to my biography, I think it would be a tremendous success at the box office. I'm afraid you're wrong, Jack. A biographical picture is much better after the person has passed on. <laughs> but, but I'm in the prime of life. I'll be here a long time. We can wait. <laughs> But I can't wait. I want to make the picture now. Jack, let's face it. I vowed never to have any more business dealings with you since you made the horn blows at midnight. <laughs> but, but what's I got to do with you? I made that for Warner Brothers. That picture hurt every studio. <laughs> what? I can't wait till it gets on television. But, Mr. Zanuck, I don't want to appear in the picture. I just think my biography would make a great musical. Look at the novel opening. 
when I'm being born in Waukegan. What other picture ever had a musical scene in a maternity hospital? I think it's corny. <laughs> what? Imagine having the doctor sing, feed up, pat him on the popo. Zanuck, what about when I play my violin? Look, Jack, I don't want any more people from your program working in our studio. We've got Dennis Day over here, and he drives me nuts. <laughs> well, if I worked over there, too, I could keep an eye on Dennis. Jack, I can't discuss this any longer. I'm sending your script back, and that's final. But Mr. Zanuck... Hmm. Thinks he's a big shot because he runs a studio. He can be wrong, too, you know. I think my life story would make a great picture. Especially the scene where... Did you call me, boss? No, no, Rochester. I was talking to myself. What's the matter? Are you upset about something? Yeah. I sent my autobiography to Daryl Zanuck, and he turned it down. Can't understand it. Why, the story of my life would be very interesting. I think so, too. As a matter of fact, I think it would be one of the most exciting pictures that ever hit the screen. You're right. I was going to get Errol Flynn to play Jack Benny. Oh, boss, calm down. <laughs> well, I was. Anyway, Rochester, I'm going to lie down here on the couch for a while. I don't want to be disturbed. I'm going to take my afternoon nap. Would you like something to eat first? No, 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 I'm not hungry. Cover me up with that blanket there, will you, Rochester? Yes, sir. Thanks. You're welcome. I'll go out and shut the door. Okay. Imagine Zanuck saying that story's no good. <coughs> If I were the head of a studio, I'd make that into a picture and show him how wrong he is. I had a chance to buy RKO a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Can't understand why Howard Hughes turned down my offer. After all, he doesn't need money, and he has to have his laundry done somewhere. <laughs> if I'd offered him the money, I'd like to be the head of a... Big studio. Jack Benny, executive producer. Make my own biography. My own studio. My own studio. Ladies and gentlemen, this is George Fisher, your CBS motion picture editor, speaking to you from Hollywood. The Snows of Kilimanjaro, which is breaking all records at the Rivoli Theater in New York, is scheduled to open in the Los Angeles area next Thursday. Oh, here's a flash just handed to me. Howard Hughes sold RKO pictures today to Jack Benny. The purchase price was $8 million. Mr. Benny paid in cash. <laughs> Now he won't bump his head on that chandelier anymore. <laughs> One of Mr. Benny's first official acts was to appoint Robert Crosby as his assistant. They have started production on a new musical based on the life of Jack Benny. Oh, J.B., J.B. Yes, R.C.? You certainly have a busy day today, J.B. I know. Read me my schedule, R.C. Well, attend a story conference with N.K., 10.30 meeting with L.B., 11, you look at the rushes with H.C., 11.30, you go to the cutting room with T.M., and at 12, you have lunch with Jack Warner. Who? J.W. <laughs> oh, yes. Now, I want you to send the following note to all producers. Starting today, make sure the green in all your Technicolor movies is made out of chlorophyll. We'll have no stinking pictures around here. 
Now, who's handling the production on the picture based on my life? D.W. Oh, yes, I'll send for him. Miss Jones, send Don Wilson in immediately. Hello, J.B. Good to see you, D.W. Close the door and come over here to my desk. It's a good thing you put your desk in the middle of the office. <laughs> you want to see me, J.B.? Yes, D.W. Where have you been? Been talking to L.S. L.S.? M.F.T. L.S. M.F.T.? Lucky strike means fine tobacco. I know. What were you talking about, D.W.? N.L.E. Who's that? No loose ends. <laughs> oh, what about T.N.C.? T.N.C.? Tear and compare. L.N.F.A.N.H.S.T.B.H.A.D. L-N-F-A-N-H-S-T-B-H-A-D? Let's not forget about no hot spots that burn harsh and dry. You said it. Oh, J.B. Yes, R.C.? I was just talking to C.T.S. C.T.S.? Who's that? Camel's tomato soup. Oh, how does he feel? Mmm, good. Fine, fine. Now, look, D.W., you know, I selected you to produce the biggest epic ever made, the story of my life. I know, and thank you. I want this picture to be perfect, and I hope you've been very careful in the casting. Oh, I am. In fact, I've already selected the actress who will play the part of your mother. I'd like to see her. Where is she? Right behind me. Well, move over so I can see her. Yes, sir. Miss Vaughn, uh, this is Mr. Benny. Hello, Mr. Benny. I'm so terribly happy to know you. <laughs> You, you're going to play the part of my mother? I sure am. I think I ran away from home. <laughs> you'll do. And, Chief, you'll never guess who I'm casting to play the part of your father. Never mind, I'll play that part myself. <laughs> now, D.W., I'd like to make some notes for you about this picture. Hmm, this pencil needs sharpening. Where's my office boy? Here I am, Mr. Benny. Good boy, Daryl. I'll teach you the movie business yet. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. Did you read the script on my life story? Yes, sir. Did you like it? Yes, sir. Especially the scene where you leave NBC and sing, When I say I beg your pardon, then I'll come back to you. <laughs> That's when you say I beg your pardon. <laughs> studio. <laughs> That's a great scene. Now, Daryl, my boy, I'm going to give you a break and let you see how a picture is actually made. Come on, let's walk over to stage three where they're shooting my biography. Thank you, sir. And, Daryl, this picture of mine is going to be as exciting as 20th Century Fox's Snows of Kilimanjaro. Oh, boss, come now. <laughs> well, I think it will. Here's stage three. Now, don't make any noise when you're in there, Daryl. The director is very temperamental. Who's directing the picture, sir? That famous European director, Dennis von Schmierkase. <laughs> Come on, let's go in. Look, that's von Schmierkase over there, waving his hand. Quiet on the set there. Ach du lieber, what is los here? <laughs> when I say quiet, it's me talking. I want quiet. I want it so quiet that you're going to hear a pin drop. Oh, Mr. von Schmierkase. What is los? Always interruptions, interruptions. <laughs> It's only me. I want to know how you're getting along with the picture. Fine, fine. 
Who's this faker here with the pencil, the writer? <laughs> no, no, he's my office boy. Yes, my name is Daryl Zanuck. I'm trying to learn the movie business. <laughs> Please, Mr. Von Smearcase, the boy's only trying to learn the business. Yes, tell me, Mr. Von Smearcase, what was the name of the last picture you made in Germany? Das Trumpete from Das Kinder und das Haubraten, was hat's gedieft? Ich wollte ins Regen verlaufen, ich sollte ins Regen, ich sollte ins Regen That, that's the title of the picture? Yeah. What does it mean in English? Lassie, come home. <laughs> oh, Miss Van, come here. Here I am, Mr. Van Schmierkees. Good. Now, in this next scene we are shooting, you are Chuck Benny's mother. Your husband comes home, he rings the bell, you open the door, and he kisses you like so. <laughs> you take his hat, he kisses you again, like so. <laughs> you give him his newspaper, and once more he kisses you. And again, he kisses you. <laughs> and for no reason at all, he kisses you. <laughs> and then you say, thank you, and he kisses you again. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait, I don't remember any scene like that in the script. Quiet, I'm ad-libbing. <laughs> Shooting the scene. Quiet on the set. Roll him. Hold it. Who knocked over that lamp? I did, sir. Ah, no wonder you're only an office boy. Now listen to me, Zanuck. You get off this deck and stay off. Do you hear me? This is Von Schmierke's talking, and you're taking orders from me. Yes, sir. You can ball me out now, but remember, when Benny's dream is over, you'll take orders from me. <laughs> Certainly, you're dreaming. I'm not dreaming. I own this studio. I own it, I tell you. This is my studio, and I'm the boss. I paid $8 million for it. $8 million. Look at me, I'm shorter. The studio's mine, do you hear? Mine, mine, mine. Mine, the studio's mine. Mine, mine. Boss! Mine! Boss, wake up! Huh? Come on, wake up, you're dreaming. Oh, gosh. Then it was a dream after all. What a shame. What do you mean? I didn't get a chance to kiss Mother goodbye. <laughs> oh, well, Rochester, I'll have my dinner now. Ladies and gentlemen, here's an election announcement of special importance. All over, everybody is saying, see you at the polls. And you will be seeing your friends and neighbors at the polls on November 4th. For everybody wants to have his say in this important election. That's the American way. So learn all you can about the issues and the candidates. Listen to all the arguments. Talk. Think. And then vote as you please, but vote. See you at the polls. Back, we'll be back in just a moment. But first... Lucky taste better. Lucky strike means fine tobacco. Lucky strike means fine tobacco cleaner. Fresher, smoother. Lucky, 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 lucky strike means fine tobacco. Lucky strike means fine tobacco cleaner. Fresher, smoother. 
You may not cheer right out loud like that when you first try Lucky's. You may only whisper, ah, Lucky's do taste better. And I'd like to tell you why. Lucky's better taste begins with fine, mild, good-tasting tobacco. L.S., M.F.T., Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Then, too, Lucky's are made better. Round, firm, fully packed to taste cleaner, fresher, smoother. No wonder so many college students are cheering about Lucky's better taste. You see, a recent nationwide survey based on actual student interviews in 80 leading colleges reveals that more smokers in these colleges prefer Lucky's than any other cigarette, and by a wide margin. In addition, Lucky's gained far more smokers than the nation's two other principal brands combined. And the number one reason the students gave for smoking Lucky's was better taste. So enjoy Lucky's better taste yourself. Get a cleaner, fresher, smoother smoke. Yes, be happy. Go Lucky. Make your next carton Lucky Strike. Be happy. Go Lucky. Go Lucky Strike today. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank Mr. Darrell Evzanik for appearing on my program tonight. And next week... Excuse me. Hello? Hello, Jack. This is Bob Crosby. Oh, hello, Bob. How do you enjoy your game of golf? Well, I'm still out at the golf club, but a terrible thing happened to me. Can you lend me a dollar? You mean... Yeah, on the seventh hole, and Don Wilson won't keep his mouth shut. <laughs> well, tell him I'll give him the dollar later. Good night, folks. Jack Benny program is written by Sam Perrin, Milt Josephsburg, George Balzer, John Packaberry, and produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks. Jack Benny program is brought to you by Lucky Strike, product of the American Tobacco Company, America's leading manufacturer of cigarettes. This is the CBS Radio Network. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benning speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Phil Harris and Alice Faye Show. Uh, this has just been a fun season. It's interesting to see how they're dealing with the whole name change thing with with Frank Gremley to uh, Elliot Lewis. Um, a lot of folks have been writing me and saying that they're finding that pretty entertaining. Uh, I thought I would also mention that Radio Spirits just this week released a brand new set of another 20 episodes that I don't know if any of them or very, very few of them have ever been made available before from 60 years ago. Uh, they are the episodes that will take place from January of 1953 until pretty much the end of the 1952-1953 season. There'll be six episodes at the very end of the season that aren't covered in this set, and they'll be in the next set. So, if you would like to own these wonderful shows and encourage Radio Spirits to keep releasing them, I would suggest that you... Uh, go to the link that's on my page here to Radio Spirits website. It's gonna, it'll connect you right up to that actual set, and you can get the set if you wish, or at least read about it. Um, I'll include the blurb about the set in uh, 
the description of this episode. So if you have, if you're using um, Radio RSS that I suggest, no RSS Radio, that's what it's called. That that app on your iPad or iPod, uh, and you click on Notes, you'll see all the information about that set uh, as you're listening to this podcast, and you'll even be able to click on the link there at the bottom of the notes to actually go and order the set if you wish. Um, if you're not using that, you can still read about this set probably on whatever you're listening to uh, this program in, but you will probably have to go to my website uh, to connect up to the Radio Spirits website. The other thing you can do is just type in Radio Spirits on any browser and press return and there you go you go to radio spirits and then once you're at radio spirits type in phil harris as the person you're searching for to list all of his sets uh this set i can't remember the title but the picture is a blue cover it's the uh, picture i'm going to use for this uh, podcast so you get to see what it looks like anyway i like i say would strongly suggest folks getting it because the more of us that get it the more chances that they release another set in the series so far this is their sixth set and this officially makes it where uh, they have actually doubled the amount of episodes that have that are available at the beginning um, before they started this whole thing five years ago there were 110 episodes in circulation and now there are uh, at least 200 and what's that? 220 episodes, probably more, probably more like 230 that are in circulation. So big thanks to Radio Spirits for doing that and for adding to the legacy of, um, Phil Harris and Alice Fay. And a big thank you to Terry Samlinson who, uh, owned the sets and apparently got them from Alice Fay herself and it's made them available. I've always wondered if she told him or asked him to make them available to as many people as possible or something, um, because this is the only set of his that I know of that he's releasing the episodes chronologically and so many um, unreleased episodes at a time and the whole thing. So um, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what's going on. I'm not sure. But anyway, he's really doing uh, Alice and Phil a wonderful service by letting more people hear so many of their shows. And without further ado, here is the next episode of Alice Faye and Phil Harris from 60 years ago this week. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time. RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, and first in television, presents Transcribe, the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Enjoyment here is the Phil Harris Alice Fay Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, and Whitfield, Walter Sharp and his music, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. Some people can handle success gracefully, others become obnoxious. But Phil Harris has a way all his own. More about that later, but first a word from RCA Victor. Here's wonderful television news, just in time for the election telecast. RCA Victor adds a great new set to its line of low-priced, quality television. Now, RCA Victor introduces the Crandall. The new Crandall is big-picture television, 
21-inch RCA Victor television at a new low price. You can actually own the Crandall for as little as $259.95, slightly higher in the far west and south. And the Crandall will bring you clearer pictures on its huge 21-inch picture tube, because like all new RCA Victor television, it has the magic monitor circuit system. The magic monitor acts like an engineer inside your set. It screens out static automatically, steps up power automatically, and automatically ties the clearest picture to the best sound. Visit your dealer tomorrow. See the Crandall. It's brand new. It's RCA Victor's lowest-priced 21-inch television set. And while at your dealers, be sure to see the entire line of new RCA Victor television. Prices start at only $199.95. Remember, every year more people buy RCA Victor than any other television. And when you select RCA Victor television, buy an RCA Victor factory service contract for expert installation and service. And now the stars of the RCA Victor program, Alice Bay and Phil Harris. <laughs> Phil made his television debut this year. He's appeared on a few shows and has been quite successful. However, NBC made the mistake of telling him so. This has gone to our big hero's little head, which has made him very difficult to live with. If you'd like to know just how difficult, let's look in on the Harris household. Alice is talking to her brother, William. Willie, I'm not going to take any more of this. Who does Phil think he is? Just because he's had a little success in television, it's gone to his head. He's nothing but a big, conceited, egotistical ham. Ain't it the truth? <laughs> Unfortunately, he looked good on TV. He was very photogenic. Oh, I know, I know. But why did everybody have to tell him that? Now he goes around posing all over the place. Every time he passes a mirror, he blows himself a kiss. <laughs> Why, he, he struts around oh, like Gordon. So wonderful, so marvelous, so gorgeous, so divine, and I'm all mine. <laughs> yes, I'm all mine. I am the lovely. Oh, good morning, Alice. Well, if it isn't Miss Rheingold of 1952. <laughs> Don't laugh, my dear. I'm the first 90 proof man to be selected for that honor. <laughs> now, look, Phil, I want to. What are you wearing? Oh, this? Oh, that's my new leopard skin robe, paisley scarf, and indoor beret. <laughs> you see, it's the newest television glamour boy outfit. I got the idea from Liberace. <laughs> Philip, you've got to stop acting like this. Ever since you've been on television, you're, you're, you're full of affectations. What affectations? TV hasn't changed me at all. I'm the same guy I've always been, and I don't want to hear no more about it. Alice. What? Have you seen my ballet slippers? <laughs> ballet slippers? Oh, Phil, I've heard enough. You're acting like a prima donna. Who do you think you are? Look, Alice, I don't like to say this, but you're forcing me to. I'm the new sensation of TV. Now, this is just not my opinion, but I've received thousands of telephone calls, letters, and telegrams raving about me. And I might add that most of them were from members of the opposite sex. You mean women? <laughs> no, mud hens. 
course I mean women. I get letters from girls all over the country. And you should hear the way they rave about me. They like you? Like me? Let's face it, kid. I'm the greatest thing that's happened to the American working girls since the 10-minute rest period. <laughs> now, look, Bill, I don't want to... Look, say... enough of this talk, enough chatter. I'm ready to dine. Set the table up in front of the fireplace, and I'll dine by candlelight. I want chill champagne, caviar, and pheasant under glass. Champagne, caviar, and pheasant? Phil, this is your breakfast. Oh. Well, in that case, pour the champagne in a Wheaties bowl. <laughs> Please come down to earth and take off that silly leopard skin robe. I will not. This leopard skin robe is a beautiful garment, and I, I'll get that. Hiya, Curly. I, oh, you poor man. You look awful. You ought to get right in bed, pull down the shades, and don't scratch. <laughs> Look, don't tell me not to scratch. I'm a big man. If I want to scratch, I'll scratch. What do you mean I look awful? I think I look very attractive in my leopard skin robe. Is that what it is? I thought you had king-size measles. <laughs> <laughs> How droll. Come on inside. Hey, Curly, what'd you call me over for? You said you wanted to Hello, talk... Hello, Elliot. Hi, Alan. Did you see my last TV appearance? I sure did. And I gotta admit one thing, Curly. You certainly look different on television. You look much younger. That's because I've been taking care of myself. You have to look good in this new medium. You certainly do. It's amazing. <laughs> you look better in person, too. You can't see the wrinkles in your face anymore. Let me look closer. Don't touch it. You'll crack the putty. <laughs> it ain't putty. He's right, Alice. It ain't putty. He filled the cracks in with strips of bacon rind. <laughs> Matches his complexion much All better. All right, don't get comical, you two. My wrinkles are gone because I've been taking care of myself. Now, do you notice anything else that's different about my face? Well, let me see. Yeah. Your double chin, it's gone. How'd you get rid of that? That's a trade secret. Let me see if there's anything else different about you. What? Wait a minute. What's this lump in back of your neck? Well, as long as you've seen it, it's my other chin. <laughs> I had it pushed back there out of camera range. <laughs> That's clever. Makes you look a little round-shouldered, but... Uh, hey, your figure looks better, too. You used to have a little pot tummy. Where is it? <laughs> Turn around, Phil, and show him your bustle. <laughs> All right, why don't you people stop? There's nothing wrong with a man trying to improve his appearance. After all, with millions of people watching me... Yeah, every... yeah, yeah. Look, Curly... You called me and you told me you want to see me. What'd you call me over here for? I'll tell you in due time. I have an announcement to make to you, Willie, Alice, and Julius. As soon as Julius gets here, I'll tell you. Well, what kind of announcement? I said you'll find out. All I can say is I'm going to do something that will make you all very happy. You're moving back to the Indian reservation? <laughs> no. You're going to cut your vocal cords. No. <laughs> I'll tell you when Julius gets here. In the meantime... I shall keep you entertained. Oh, 
He's going to do his ballet dance. He's going to do his ballet dance. I am not. No. I'm going to sing. And I hope you appreciate a big TV star like me singing for you. For nothing. Oh, we wouldn't expect you to do that. I'll tell you what. You start singing, and we'll all throw pennies at you. Let's aim for his mouth. Maybe that'll slow him down. <laughs> possibilities, possibilities. We're living in a world that's full of possibilities. Ain't no miracle too impossible for anyone that sees the possibilities. If you recall your history, then you will find that all its famous men turned out to be the kind of men who never stopped to look behind. They looked ahead to see what they could see, and they saw possibilities, possibilities. They never overlooked a single possibility. Proven naturally, opportunity is for the one who sees the possibilities. Each time you try to solve a new phenomenon, the skeptics say it's just a dream, I know. But after you're a hero and the job is done, then you can tell them all I told you so. Yes, there are possibilities, possibilities. If you will only make the most of your facilities, folks will idolize, even eulogize the little guy that sees the possibilities. When Christopher Columbus proved the world was round, he called Queen Isabel on his return. She said, now tell me, Chris, about this place you found. He said, well, Bell, as far as I'm concerned, it sure got possibilities, possibilities. I tell you, Queen, I've never seen such possibilities. And I really feel we should make a deal before somebody sees its possibilities. When little Abe was growing up in Illinois, to be a big success was his intent. He studied so much harder than the other boys. Till one day he became our president. He saw the possibilities, possibilities. He never overlooked a single possibility. Proven naturally, opportunity is for the one who sees the possibilities. I guess by now there ain't no doubt about the point I'm bringing out. So if you'll open up your eyes, you are bound to recognize the Possibilities, possibilities We're living in a world that's full of possibilities Ain't no miracle too impossible For anyone who sees the you can understand why I'm such a hit on television. Oh, yes, darling. Seeing you as well as hearing you is an experience that can't be matched. Isn't it, Elliot? Heavens, yes. (laughs) This is the most thrilling thing that's happened to me since my gallstone attack. (laughs) Of course, that was more exciting, but this was more painful. All right. What do you know? Being a man, you wouldn't appreciate my particular type of charm. You see, I appeal to the girls, the lovely sex. 
They're running after me already, and I guarantee that two more television appearances and every woman in the country will be leaving her husband. And I'll be the first. (laughs) (laughs) Phil, forget all these other women. Remember, you're married to me. Oh, that. I'm glad you mentioned that. (laughs) Look, Alice, being a matinee idol, it shouldn't be known that I'm married. So... You and the children will have to go underground. (laughs) Not for long, just a year or two. Look, honey, I can't help it if women find me irresistible. I don't know what I've got. Perhaps it's the twinkle in my eye. Or the dimple in my cheek. Or the cleft in my chin. Or the soft spot in your head. Jill, how'd you get in here, Julius? I didn't hear you come in. I was very quiet. I was bringing the eggs you ordered, and when I entered, you were in the middle of your song, so I took off my shoes and tippy-toed in so as not to miss one glorious note. (laughs) Julius, uh, you're being very sweet to me. Why? What's come over you? You're not fresh today. Neither are the eggs. When you deliver rotten eggs, you gotta be nice to the customer. <laughs> now, look, you'd better be nice to Mr. Harris from now on. He's a big television personality. Yeah, I know. My whole family saw him on that big show for the opening of the NBC television studios. Oh, how'd they like me, kid? Well, we watched you for a few minutes, and then Mom and Pop got into a big argument. About me? No, 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 about the set. Mom wanted to turn it off, and Pop wanted to turn it in. (laughs) I don't have to take that from a rotten egg deliverer. Maybe you don't like my performance, but how'd you like the way I look? Phil, I must say you surprised me. As soon as your face came on the screen, the set seemed to light up. Then it started to smoke, then the tube blew out. All right, all right. Kind of sorry I asked you to come over here, Julius I have some good news for everybody But I've got a good mind not to include you What is this good news you have for all of us? I'm coming to that I have a little speech prepared Now hear this, now hear this (laughs) My friends, as you all know I am now one of the greatest stars in the history of the entertainment field But... Even though I'm a big man, I want you to know that I have not forgotten you, the little people. (laughs) No man is so great that he can do without the little people. And I want you to know that as I climb higher and higher, I am taking you little people with me. What do you say to that? On behalf of my fellow pygmies, I thank you. I know you would appreciate it. Oh, Wonga, you so good to us jungle people. <laughs> All hail the Phantom, goes to war. All Don't be funny. <laughs> now that I'm a big man, I'm giving each and every one of you a good job. Willie will be my bookkeeper. Alice, you'll be my social secretary. Elliot, you'll be my valet. And Julius, I want you to be at my side wherever I go. 
In case I come to a mud puddle, I want you to lie down so I can walk over. <laughs> oh, goody, I've arrived. I'm going to be a pontoon bridge for Phil Harris. <laughs> Let me get this straight, Phil. You want us to be your slaves? Oh, you've got Don't a try lot to thank of... me, miss. You've earned it. <laughs> Just keep your pencils sharpened and we'll get along splendidly. Now, if you'll excuse me, I must go upstairs and call the artist. He's got to come over tomorrow. Artist? Curly, you're not going to have your portrait done in oil, are you? Of course not. Hmm. I'm going to have my profile tattooed on each of your stomachs. <laughs> and now, everyone, to your post. All right, snap to it. Look alive, everybody. Let's get with it. Let's go. I'll see you later. Oh, no! That guy's right for the squirrel squad. <laughs> we gotta do something about the big ape. I think the conceited jerk ought to be taken down a peg or two. Yeah, just because he's being seen on television, he thinks every woman in the country's crazy about him. Hey, wait a minute. Suppose his being seen by these women got him into trouble. What do you mean? Suppose some of his ex-wives were to show up. What ex-wives? The ones we're gonna hire. Oh... We'll hire a couple of women who'll pretend he was married to them years ago and deserted them. And they didn't know where he was until they saw him on television. That'll never work. Why not? Where are you going to find a dame stupid enough to admit she's married to him? <laughs> Julia! I, I didn't mean you, Miss Faye. Well, it'll work. I know where we can get a couple of old crows who'll be glad to come in and make believe they're his ex-wives. I'll call them now. Now, fellas, please, fellas, hmm? please. This is a dirty trick you're playing on, Phil, and I won't stand here and listen to it. So I'll go upstairs while you call the old crows. <laughs> Elliot, hmm? when will those women be here? They'll be here any minute. I briefed them and told them just what to say. Mm, this should bring Phil back to normal. I was hoping for something better than that. <laughs> Anybody that's got a swell head like his... I am so wonderful. Oh, I did that. Well, here I am. I just had a very refreshing nap. And how have things been going with you little people? Have you been busy at your appointed tasks? Oh, yes, Master. While you were sleeping, the doorbell's been ringing every minute. Oh, women, no doubt. Have they been very persistent? Uh, yes, Your Majesty. One in particular wouldn't go away. She insisted on seeing you, but I knew you didn't want to be disturbed, so I took care of her. What'd you do? I had her beheaded. <laughs> Look, Julia, I'm having that... her stuck so you can hang him in your trophy room. <laughs> Phil, I'm a little frightened. With all these women throwing themselves at you, I'm afraid you're going to forget little old me. You won't have any time for me. Nonsense, darling. I'll make time for you. Shall we say every other Thursday between 3 and 3.30? <laughs> Tentative, of course. If it's raining, I shall go duck hunting instead. <laughs> Couldn't I go along as a decoy? That depends. Let me hear you howl. <laughs> you got the right tone, I might be able to... <laughs> I wonder who that could be We'll soon see I will answer it, Master 
Ah, there goes a wonderful manservant. Best doorbell answer I ever had. I may pension him. Fire, this lady wishes to see you. Come in, my dear. How do you do? I think. I think. Who's she talking to? I'm talking to you, dear. You're mistaken, lady. My name is Phil Harris. Oh, that's just the name you took for the stage. When I first met you, you were just plain Irving Finklefoot. <laughs> Wait a minute. The Irving I'll take, but I ain't gonna go for no Finklefoot. <laughs> Look, lady, I don't know who you are. I never saw you before. Irving, how can you say that to me? Zelda, your wife. What wife? I ain't never been married to you. I couldn't have... Some of them nights were kind of hazy. <laughs> No, lady, I drank that much. I know it. Bill, how could you do this to me? You never told me you were married before. But, honey, Don't talk to me, you bigamous. Who are you? I'm his present wife, Alice Finkelfoot. (laughs) Pay no attention to that thing. (laughs) Leave her alone. I'm not married to her. Lady, tell her I'm not your husband. Go on, tell her I'm not your husband. All right, you're not my husband. But what am I going to tell our son? (laughs) What son? Morris and Seymour. (laughs) Yes, and you'll be proud of Seymour. He looks just like you. I don't care what he... He does? (laughs) Oh, that lucky little devil. Look, lady, what are you trying to do to me? What are you trying to do to me? You left me 18 years ago, and if I hadn't seen you on television, I'd never have known where you are. Bully for television. (laughs) Look, I don't know what this is all about. Believe me, I never... Come in. (laughs) You know, there's only one woman I love, only one woman I'm married to. (laughs) Tell her, Waldo. <laughs> At last I found you. Kiss me, Wally. Some other time, lady. I'm busy. I'm busy. <laughs> Who are you, anyway? Well, I'm your wife, Sadie. Just a minute. This man is not your husband. Uh, don't tell me. I'd know Waldo's fifth bath anyplace. <laughs> I'd love to hear you say that with her teeth. (laughs) That'd be like getting hit with a 12-gauge shotgun. (laughs) All those fits, bath, and orgies, Finklefoot. Where are you getting them hokey names? Oh, Waldo, we were so happy together. Why did you ever leave me? Why? I don't know. (laughs) Just lucky, I guess. I must have been mad.
had to leave a doll like all those pants. <laughs> Look, Sadie, I'm not your husband. I don't blame you for trying it, but I'm not Waldo. I'm Oid. I mean, I'm Phil. <laughs> Waldo, all right. You can't fool me with that dye job. <laughs> what dye job? You had the whites of your eyes dyed red. <laughs> ain't dyed. I'm a natural red eye. <laughs> oh, Waldo, it's so good to see you. And to if I hadn't been watching that television show, I never would have found you. Does everybody watch television? <laughs> Don't nobody play canasta anymore? <laughs> Come on, Waldo. I'll take you home with me. My Irving is not going anyplace with you. He belongs to me. He does not. Waldo belongs to me. I don't belong to neither one of you, and I'm not leaving here. Well. <laughs> I'll see you in court I'll sue you for desertion And I'll sue you for bigamy Goodbye Now wait a minute You can't drag me into court How am I going to explain this to my wife? <laughs> well, Alice I suppose you're going to leave me now too, huh? No, uh, of course not, Phil I wouldn't think of leaving you Until I find out who gets you Zelda or Sadie Cut it out, will you? Why do those dames pick on me? Oh, they probably couldn't help themselves, dear. You're so irresistible on television. There'll be a lot more women coming around from now on. Oh, no, there won't. Because I ain't gonna be irresistible anymore. I'll find some way to lose my attraction for the opposite sex. It ain't gonna be easy, but I'll find... <laughs> Now on, I'm not gonna pretty myself up I'm just gonna be normal Well, you'll have to prove it to me All right, I will And I'll do it right now Get in back of me and start pushing <laughs> Pushing what? My stomach I'm gonna push it back in front Where it belongs <laughs> Bill will be back in just a moment. On November 4th, you'll be able to see the most complete election coverage offered in the history of television. Now, that's something you don't want to miss. So visit your RCA Victor dealer tomorrow and buy a new RCA Victor television set. You'll see clearer, stronger pictures thanks to RCA Victor's exclusive Magic Monitor circuit system. The Magic Monitor screens out static automatically, steps up power automatically, and automatically ties the clearest picture to the best sound. And it's built into every new RCA Victor set, into the Lindale, for example. The Lindale is a handsome console with half doors that open on big 21-inch television. Yes, for a clearer picture of the election, select RCA Victor's 21-inch Lindale console. And remember, for the ultimate in television reception, city or country, ask about... RCA Victor Television Deluxe, at your dealers tomorrow. We're a little late, so thanks and good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. Included in this program transcribed were Elvia Allman and Margie List. 
The part of Julius was played by Walter Tetley. RCA Victor's new six-in-one children's albums are six times as much fun for the youngsters. They get a 45 or 278 records with adventures of their favorites like Donald Duck and Captain Video. They get the story to read, pictures to color, punch-out puppets of the story's characters so they can act out the show, and membership in the Little Nipper Club. Surprise your youngsters with an RCA Victor six-in-one children's album, only a dollar and five cents, at your dealers now. Tonight, Theater Guild on the Air presents Seagull Cry on NBC. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the 1942-1943 season of the Jack Benny Show. Um, a very historic show today. This is the episode in which Jack uh, gives up the Maxwell, of course the Kari drives, to uh, the Scrap Drive. And... I have a feeling that after this happened, at the time, it seemed like a really good idea, and after it happened, probably fairly quickly, the writers realized, oh, uh, this wasn't the brightest thing we ever did, in that uh, the Maxwell uh, led to a lot of jokes, of course. It's like uh, all of a sudden putting Dawn in, on a rapid weight loss and not having all your fat jokes to use for Dawn. So they, they like crippled part of their show. Uh, but in the long term, you look back, I think it was a really smart move um, for them to do. It, it um, ties the, the show and Jack into the, all the efforts, the war efforts uh, that are going on across the country. And I think it was um, just a really uh, touching move to do for Jack and for the Maxwell to give itself up for uh, for these purposes. Um, they would uh, soon have a car back again to make jokes about, and it would slowly morph into becoming the Maxwell again. So Jack will have the Maxwell back after a while, but this is where we uh, say goodbye to it, which is pretty neat. Um, anyway, enjoy the episode, and we'll see you next time. Straight Nuts Flake Program, the first radio program to come to you from Williams Field near Chandler, Arizona, and starring Jack Benny. With Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Dennis Day, Rochester, and yours truly, Don Wilson. You know, friends, the other night I saw a movie about a young man as rich and distinctive as, well, as the rich, distinctive flavor of Grape Nuts Flakes. And he met a young girl as truly appealing as, well, as an appealing bowl full of Grape Nuts Flakes. And when they got married, they lived as happily as, well, as happily as folks who have that grand-tasting Grape Nuts Flakes at breakfast every morning. <laughs> well, friends, the moral of the story is just this. You'll find malty, rich, sweet-as-a-nut Grape Nuts Flakes, the del- Grape Nuts Flakes bring you your form of delicate, toasty brown flakes. A flavor that's utterly distinctive because it's a two-grain blend of sun-ripened wheat and malted barley, toasted golden brown and crisp. Grape Nut Flakes, America's fastest-growing cereal. So for a smooth-tasting, delicious breakfast treat, ask for Grape Nuts Flakes in the thrifty 12-ounce package. 
Likewise, this is the army, Mr. Jones, played by the orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, from Williamsfield near Chandler, Arizona, we bring you a man who, after a week under the blazing Arizona sun, no longer looks like a frog's belly in the moonlight, Jack Benny! <laughs> Thank you. Hmm. Frog's belly in the moonlight. Uh, Jello again. I mean, grape nut flakes again. Uh, this is Jack Benny speaking. And Don, although you put it rather crudely, there's no question about it. I do look much better with my desert tan. Yes, Jack, you certainly do. Well, why not? I'm outdoors all the time, horseback riding, swimming. I tell you, Don, I feel like a million dollars. I mean, 25,000. You can't feel like a million anymore. <laughs> You know, Don, this Arizona sunshine seems to have done you a lot of good, too. Oh, it has, Jack. Every afternoon, I've been taking a sun bath up on the roof of my hotel. You? You take sun baths on the roof? That's a little dangerous, isn't it? What do you mean, dangerous? Well, there are a lot of planes flying around here, and from 10,000 feet, you must look like a landing field. <laughs> Really, I'm, I'm not kidding. Oh, now, be reasonable, Jack. From 10,000 feet in the air, I look like an ant. Well, it must be that fat ant of yours that lives in Denver. <laughs> I know a landing field when I see one. Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. Well, get a load of you. What a tan you've got. Haven't I, though? Tell you, Mary, I look just like those toasty brown grape nuts flakes. Yeah, but you still shake like jello. <laughs> I do not. I'm the picture of health. Gosh, I've been outdoors all week. Well, why don't you get a room? <laughs> I've got a room. I'm living at the Arizona Biltmore, and what a ritzy place that is. The Arizona Biltmore isn't even opened yet. All right, so I have to make my own bed. <laughs> a little bending over isn't going to hurt. But that hotel is lovely. Your kids will have to, you know, you kids will have to come out and visit me. Oh, I'd love to, Jack. Which room are you in? Oh, you can't miss it. It's the one with the boards knocked off the window. <laughs> but do come over. Imagine moving into a hotel that isn't even open. That's the cheapest thing all I ever... All right, all right, forget it. Where are you living? I'm at the Westward Ho, and it's one of the most beautiful hotels in Phoenix. It is, eh? But you wouldn't like it. It's got maids and bellboys and telephones and everything. You're right. I'd rather rough it at the Biltmore. That's me, huh? Tell me, Mary, have you been having a lot of fun this week in Phoenix? Soldiers and cowboys? How can I miss? <laughs> You're always thinking of men. What's the matter with you? Perfectly normal. Look it up. <laughs> I don't mean that. Hey, Jackson, ain't it wonderful here in Arizona? They ain't nothing like them wide open spaces. Oh, hello. Hello, Phil. Yes, yes, it is. And the climate is so grand. Yeah, this air's the nuts. That's because there's very little humidity. <laughs> who, who what? Humidity, stupid. That means no moisture. <laughs> I know what it means. I also know how to pronounce it, but I'll be darned if I'll tell you. <laughs> Say, uh, where are you living, Melonhead? <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm glad I put that in, you know? I'm getting, Phil, where, uh... Well, look, Jackson, what? I'm staying at a beautiful place. It's called the uh, Camelback Inn. What, oh, the Camelback, eh? Having a good time? Well, I've gone without water for seven days, if that's what you mean. 
Well, that's typical of you, Phil. You come to a beautiful place like this and you don't get any rest at all. What are you talking about? I'm under the bed every night by 10 o'clock. <laughs> well, Phil, I'd like to ask you why you don't sleep on top of the bed, but I know your orchestra is there. <laughs> By the way, uh, you and your boys came all the way from Hollywood on the Santa Fe bus, did you? All but my guitar player. He bought a new pair of shoes and he wanted to break them in. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now I've heard everything. Say, Mr. Benny, I was wondering if I could dedicate my song tonight oh. to my... Oh, hello, Dennis. Hello. Say, Mr. Benny, I was wondering if I could dedicate... What? What do you say? I was wondering if I could dedicate my... Uh, how, uh, how do you feel out here in the desert, kid? Oh, fine. Good. I had a slight case of cactus in my seat, but it's all out now. Well, there's a lot of it going around. You know? I know about that. Jack backed into a cactus the other night. Never mind. <laughs> and he had to take off his pants with a pair of tweezers. All right, all right. Say, Mr. Benny, I was wondering if I could dedicate my song tonight to a girlfriend of mine. I'm singing Conchita. Oh, oh, is that your girlfriend's name? No. Conchita? Ba no, Babe Marks. Well, what's the, what's the connection between Conchita and Babe Mark? Well, she Conchita more than any girl I ever had. <laughs> Dennis, you better get a big hat. The sun here is taking advantage of you. She was a handsome young Irish lad, she was a Mexican beauty. It was Fiesta and I might add, romantically he wasn't beauty. A boy and a girl beneath a star. I can tell it in 64 bars. His Irish heart went bingo when he saw the rose of Juarez. Oh. Conchita, Marquita, Lolita, Pepita, Rosita, Juanita, Lopez Oh, you're a lovely thing, oh For me there's but one girl, he says oh. Conchita, Marquita, Lolita, Pepita, Rosita, Juanita, Lopez Mandolin began to play And her lips were there to kiss As they danced, I heard him say New Jersey was never like this. The bell began to ring as they rolled away on a mule. To prove I'm not choking, if you're in Hoboken, drop in for a minute and you'll meet Conchita, Marquita, Lolita, Pepita, Rosita, Juanita, and Molly and Mike and Jose and Pancho and Pedro and Sancho and Tommy and Timmy and Spike Of course there are others their sisters and brothers they're older and they go to school there's no more to my song now so I'll run along now
That was Conchita Rosita Lopez, sung by Dennis Day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I have a very important announcement to make. Last Monday afternoon, Jack Benny went to an official automobile graveyard in Los Angeles and contributed his famous Maxwell to the junk salvage drive. Yep, little Maxie is going to do her bit in the war effort. So at this time, folks, we would like to reenact for you all that took place on that historic occasion. Gosh, did, did I make history? Why, certainly. They want to take Paul Revere out of the school books and put you in. <laughs> oh, stop. I know better than that. John Paul Revere. What a sailor he was. <laughs> oh, quiet. Continue, Don. Jack felt that his whole radio gang should be present to take a farewell ride in that old jalopy. So he told us to be at his house at 3 o'clock sharp, and we'd all ride to the junkyard. Now, imagine, imagine turning a car like this into the junk pile. Why, the motor is in wonderful condition. Wonderful condition? Yes. I lifted up the hood yesterday, and the spark plug was playing ring around the fan belt. <laughs> That's a lie, because I'm wearing the fan belt. <laughs> you know, fellas, I, I realize I should give my car to the salvage drive, but... Gee, you, you can't blame a fella for being blue and, and all choked up. Did the laundry shrink your collar? No. <laughs> Pay attention. I'm sentimental. Take it easy, Rochester. No use getting another ticket for speeding. Holy smoke, Jackson. You mean to say you got a ticket for speeding in this car? That's right, Mr. Harris. Our bumper got hooked to a fire truck. <laughs> I don't care how it happened, we were going like the wind. Now watch what you're doing, Rochester, and grab a hold of the steering wheel. I'll catch it the next time it comes by. <laughs> well, you better. Gosh. Imagine after all these years, parting with my little Maxwell. Oh, boy, hey, look at that gorgeous blonde standing on the corner there. Where, where, who, what, what, where? Oh, yeah, I see her. Oh, Jack, put down that telescope. Well, I know the girl. It's Shirley Truebucket. <laughs> hello, hello, Shirley. Remember me? Jeepers, yes. Hmm. Turn here, Rochester. That junkyard is down on Western Avenue. to be around here somewhere. There's the sign, Jack. Official automobile graveyard. Oh, yeah. Turn in here, Rochester. Okay. And watch that curve. <laughs> Easy does it. <laughs> well, well, that's it, fellas. That was our last trip. Our last ride in the Maxwell. I'll buy a drink! Never mind. <laughs> uh, uh, hello. Uh, yes, sir. What can I do for you? Uh, I'm Jack Benny. Are you the head man in this junkyard? I'm not wearing this carnation in my overalls for nothing. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Well, I've got a car here I'd like to turn into the salvage drive. 
This is it right here. Well, we do need junk, but uh, aren't you overdoing it, old man? <laughs> Look, buddy, scrap is scrap. Now, how much am I offered? Uh, the rate we're paying here is $7 a ton, so I can give you about $7.50. $7.50? Now, wait a minute, mister. I've got a lot of extras on this car. For instance, the radio and the fog light. This cigarette lighter? What cigarette lighter? Right there. That's a candle. <laughs> well, if you can't light a cigarette with a candle, brother, you ought to give up smoking. <laughs> now, how much am I offered? It's still $7.50. Oh. Now, you can have cash, but if you like, I'll pay you in war stamps. Well, I'll take the war stamps. Yes, sir. Uh, would you like a wet sponge, or have you strength enough to lick them? <laughs> Yes, give me the stamp. I'll handle it. Thanks. Well, that's that. Come on, Jack. Let's get going. Yep. Got to get going, I guess. Yes, sir. Come on, Jackson. Let's get out of here. Yep. <laughs> Got to leave my little Maxie. Oh, well, it's, it's for a good cause. Yep. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Well, come on. Come on, Rochester. I'm coming, Walt. I'm coming. Oh, stop bawling. Or you'll have me doing it, too. Come on. Let's get out of here. It is several hours later, and Jack has returned to his home in Beverly Hills, and as we pick him up now, it's about bedtime. Five years. Five years I've had that little Maxwell. Now it's gone forever. Well, I might as well turn in, I guess. Uh, get my pajamas out, Rochester. I put a nightshirt right there on the bed, boys. I don't want a nightshirt. Been getting cold lately, and a nightshirt creeps up on me. This one won't do any creeping. I put stirrups on it. <laughs> good, good. Uh, I don't think I'll bother creaming my face tonight. <laughs> no, really, I'm, I'm too tired. My, my complexion is all right. But I got some new stuff from the drugstore. Betty Bunker's Beauty Bomb. <laughs> well, what's that? It says here, put it on and take a snooze, clears up wrinkles on face and shoes. <laughs> well, just, just put it on my shoes tonight. I'm all in. 
Here, hang up my pants and undershirt. Well, good evening, Mr. Billingsley. Good evening, Mr. Benny. Strip for your physical, I see. <laughs> no, no, I'm just getting ready for bed. I've been very restless lately, you know. Well, in that case, you must try one of my new sleeping pills. Here you are. But, Mr. Billingsley, this isn't a pill. It's a baseball bat. Well, if that doesn't do the trick, you ought to see a doctor. <laughs> mm, well, thanks, anyway. Don't mention it. Good night, Mr. Benny. Good night. Oh, I haven't seen her in years. <laughs> He's a strange fellow. Boy, am I all in. Pleasant dreams, boss. Brace yourself. Rochester, put down that baseball bat. <laughs> You're as bad as he is. Gosh, this bed sure feels good. Although, how I can sleep with my Maxwell all busted up in that junkyard, I don't know. Boss, why don't you look at it this way? Before you know it, the scrap from your car is going to be part of a battleship or a tank or an airplane. Gee. Gee. I tell you, boss, if everybody in the country turned in their old junky cars and dug up all the scrap they could, there wouldn't be no shortage of nothing, especially victory. You're right, Rochester. Absolutely right. Well, good night. Good night, Mr. Benny. If your hot water bottle springs a leak, just put a Band-Aid on it. <laughs> I will. See, no wonder I'm tired. Gee, I practically helped Henry Kaiser build a ship today. Gosh, just think. Little Maxie's gonna be a ship. Or a tank. Or... Or maybe an airplane. Seven dollars a ton. Bombardier Benny? Gee, that's me. I'm a bombardier. Calling Bombardier Benny. Coming. Coming, sir. Bombardier Benny reporting. Did you call me, sir? Yes. What kept you? Sorry, I was creaming my face. <laughs> What's up, sir? There's a bummer waiting outside, and you're assigned to the crew. Your destination is Tokyo. Tokyo? Yes. Are you ready? I sure am, Colonel Bridget. <laughs> All set to shove off. Good. You'll find your bomber on the north runway. The pilot's warming up the plane now. Wait a minute. I forgot my radio, my fog light, and my cigarette lighter. Here's a candle. A candle? Yes. If you can't light a cigarette with a candle, you ought to take off that fan belt. <laughs> Gee, the colonel's in a happy mood today. Oh, boy. Tokyo. I'm gonna blow that joint to smithereens, or my name ain't Bombardier Benny. See, see, look at all those bombers. I wonder which one is mine. Your plane is coming right up. Where? Well, I'll be. It's 
my Maxwell. Only it's got wings on it. Maxie, Maxie, speak to me. It knows me. <laughs> It's nice up here. How high are we, Rochester? 10,000 feet, boss. Good. At $7 a ton, that's a fortune. <laughs> well, we're off to Tokyo. We sure are. Uh-oh, there's a right, red light up ahead. Slow down, Rochester. Red light? That's the sun. <laughs> well, it just turned green. Step on it. <laughs> Look at that water down there. Is that the Pacific Ocean Navigator? It sure is, Jackson. Bill Harris. Are you the navigator, Phil? I ain't wearing this carnation in my nose for nothing. <laughs> oh, yes. Where are we, Phil? Well, according to the calculations I just computed on my Mercator chart, we're at the zenith of the apex, longitude 42, latitude 51, and a wind velocity of $7 a ton. <laughs> what does that mean? Where are we? St. Joe, Missouri. <laughs> they love me there. <laughs> Come on, we gotta get to Tokyo. Gee, I, I hope we brought enough bombs with us. Cigars, cigarettes, bombs. You can't have any fun over Tokyo without a bomb. I'll take a few of those, miss. You want a wet sponge with them, or can you drop them yourself? Yourself? Oh, I haven't seen her in years. <laughs> What's the matter, Rochester? We're running into bad weather, boss. Look at that cloud up ahead. Where? Why, I know that cloud. It's Don Wilson. <laughs> Hiya, Don. <laughs> Hello, Janet. Where are you going? Tokyo. Good. I rained all over it last night. <laughs> <laughs> you want to come along with us, Klaus? I'd love to, but I got to float back to America now and tell everybody about America's fastest-growing cereal. Those toasty brown, sweet as a nut, grape nut flame. There you go again. <laughs> it's grape, grape. Well, come on, Harris, you're the navigator. Which way is Tokyo? I'll have to check my position by radio. Tune it in. And so, chin up, <laughs> but with head in the eyes. We find Sally Yoshimoto waiting for her husband, Togo. That's the Japanese radio. We must be on the beam, all right. We've got to get ready. Where's our machine gunner, Shirley Trubucker? Here I am, Mr. Benny. <laughs> Good. Come around the way, fellas. It won't be long now. Hey, who's that passing us? It's Jimmy Doolittle. Oh, yeah. Hello, Jimmy. Hiya, Jack. Good old Doolittle. Follow him, Rochester. He knows where Tokyo is. Gee, it ought to be around here someplace. Look, Mr. Benny, there's a big island right down below us. And that city there in the middle of it is Tokyo. Tokyo. I get that, Harris. We're going into a dive. I wouldn't drink with them lousy lights for a million dollars. <laughs> Come 
Rochester, I just had the most wonderful dream. I dreamt I was bombing Tokyo. Tokyo? Did you blow it all up? Not quite. Then I'll stir you up a Welsh rabbit. Let's finish the job. <laughs> That's an idea. What a dream. <laughs> You know, Uncle Sam tells us that one of the most vital industries in America is homemaking. Whereas a homemaker, you help to sustain the health and stamina of the home front. And to help you on that job, our government's national nutrition program tells you how to plan menus wisely. To get each day plenty of the essential foods which promote health and vitality. Now that includes whole grain cereals. Cereals such as delicious toasty brown grape nuts flakes. For grape nuts flakes are a whole grain cereal, so they supply important whole grain food values, such as iron, niacin, and vitamin B1. Food values which every one of us need every day to help keep ourselves in robust good health. Yes, grape nuts flakes at breakfast will give you a mighty good start on your daily nourishment needs. So for a grand nutritious breakfast dish that's chuck full of delicious flavor, make it malty, rich, sweet as a nut, grape nuts flakes tomorrow morning. The last number of the third program in the Great Nuts Flake series. All kidding aside, ladies and gentlemen, automobile scrap must furnish 5 million of the 30 million tons of steel scrap needed to maintain steel production at its current rate. So sell your old jalopy to an, to an automobile graveyard and help keep the steel mills rolling. I want to thank Colonel Bridget and Colonel Grill for their friendly cooperation here at Williams Field. It was a real pleasure to dedicate this new theater here at the Post. Fine building, no powder room. <laughs> well, it's for the soldier. Good night, folks. The Jack Benny program is written by Bill Maher and Ed Beloy. This program is for the entertainment of Army personnel and does not necessarily constitute an endorsement of its products by the War Department. Have you treated your family to Grape Nuts Wheat Meal? It's the new hot cereal that's extra nourishing, extra delicious, extra speedy. Grape Nuts Wheat Meal is a nourishing whole grain hot cereal. Every tempting steaming bowl full is rich with the goodness of roasted wheat with a texture that's smooth but full-bodied. And it cooks in just three minutes. So ask your grocer for the rich hot brown cereal, Grape Nuts Wheat Meal. This program came to you from Williamsfield in Arizona. This is a broadcasting company.